I was uh, listening to a couple of podcasts this week, and they were talking about, um, one of them was talking about humility a little bit, and I think somewhere in there, there was this idea of being grounded, and um, and the two of them struck me. I don't think they were being talked about together, but to me, they started, they, they seemed that they go together a little bit, and also, I think what came up for me was a little bit about equanimity, and so I wanted to wanted to examine this, look at look at these ideas through a, a Buddhist lens of humility and groundedness, and of course, equanimity is a very major teaching in Buddhism. It's um, it's one of the heart practices, and it's uh, the heart practices, the Brahma Viharas and Mahayana. They're called the four immeasurables, but they're loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and equanimity. And equanimity is the capacity to be present for whatever shows up in our lives. Um, It's the ability to um, have an appropriate response to anything. And if there's joy, if there's something good happening, um, to be joyful about it. If there's something challenging in our lives, to be to be compassionate towards it. So it's this reaction or this response that's really appropriate to the moment. And there's a balance so that we're not knocked out of whack by anything that happens. We're, there's a capacity to hold everything. And um, I, I think equanimity is so important. It's like the, the last of many, many lists in Buddhist teachings. And in one of the podcasts I listened to, it was called Hope and Hard Pills, and uh, the hosts are Andre Henry and um, Trisha's, and their guest was Rick Hansen, who I am a huge fan of. He, many of you know who he is. He wrote Buddha's, he wrote Buddha's Brain, he wrote Hardwiring Happiness, he wrote, wrote Resilience, I think that's his most recent book, and he was talking a little bit about resilience. And and I kind of equate resilience to equanimity in some ways. And he defined um, resilience as the ability to deal with challenges so that you can recover from setbacks and keep going. It's this capacity to recover. It's this capacity to keep going. And that's what I, can, I believe equanimity is in a certain way. It's this capacity to be present for challenges and for for the joys of life. Equanimity holds it all, whereas resilience has this flavor of bouncing back from a challenge, bouncing back from something, excuse me, difficult. And um, what happens, though, usually is when there's something going on, when we have some experience, a thought, somebody says something to us, something happens, even just a thought in our mind, when we're impacted by something, we tend to fall into a reactive mode, which is based on our conditioning and the stories we've become familiar with about who we are and our place in the world. You know, it's all the Buddha says we're conditioned beings. All things are conditioned. We're dependent on what came before us, and our responses, our reactions, of course, are conditioned by what happened before, what happened when we were kids, what we were taught, what we learned. Um, <clears throat> my friend, I was, I was having coffee with, or ta- tea with a friend yesterday and we were talking about this very thing. We were talking about that and she was 
working on defining these patterns of how she tends to react to things and, and her go-tos are like um, disappearing. That's a way of dealing with stuff that's painful. You just kind of disappear in some way, shape, or form or being dismissive or getting angry. And so beginning to recognize these, these familiar responses because we tend to fall into patterns. They're habitual patterns of reaction that we do. Um, I'm, I'm one of those um, disappearing type people. I'm much more of a, you know, when you talk about fight, flight, or freeze, I freeze or I run away. Even if you can still see me, I, I, I'm the person who thinks if I stick my head in the sand, then it's all good. If I don't acknowledge it, then it doesn't exist, that kind of thing. That's all reactivity. That's all reactivity to things that are going on in our lives. Um, but Hansen said that resilience needs clarity, and so does equanimity. Equanimity and resilience are this clarity to see what's happening, this capacity to recognize and to begin to recognize the reactivity that comes with it. Um, so when we're not paying attention, we're just in autopilot. But when we begin to pause, when we begin to slow down, we begin to, like this is what m mindfulness practice is about. It's developing the capacity to pause. It's the developing the capacity to see that reactivity. We can see clearly what's going on and we can maybe take a step back and not succumb to that reactivity. You know, reactivity or reactions are important. They're very necessary for how we go about our lives. We, we can't think everything through. We, when we get up in the morning, we can't stop and think about, now, how do I get out of bed again? Or how do I walk? Or how do I open the refrigerator? Or how does this toaster work? There's, there's, there are habits that we know. It's like when we're driving, so many things are habitual. We don't have to think about them. And that's really important for existing in the world, for going through um, our daily lives. But we also have to be aware of these experiences that we have and how they may impact us, and, and especially if they're troublesome. And can we slow down when there's some event like a, a, a difficult relationship or somebody says something to us or even how we think about things? Sometimes those old stories show up in our minds and we immediately go into uh, some judging, harsh thing or some anger flares up. And so to be able to step back and it's like I was talking about in the meditation. Bring some space to it. There's this ability then to maybe do something different. Allow the, allow the emotion to be there. Allow what's uh, coming up to be there, but not necessarily go down those habitual pathways that, that often cause um, dukkha, often cause discomfort. You know, it can be so challenging because of our conditioning. Um, and I think, um, oh yeah, one of the other things, it's hard because of our conditioning, and one of the other things that supports this resilience, and they mentioned it in the podcast, I don't remember in what context, but they mentioned humility. And that, I think, goes hand in hand with equanimity. 
And equanimity supports resilience and humility supports equanimity and they go hand in hand. And by humility in this context, I mean our recognition of the recognition of our humanity, seeing us as fully part of the fabric of human existence, you know, seeing ourselves in our messiness and seeing ourselves in our glory, acknowledging that we have really good qualities and acknowledging that we eh, perhaps could do better in some areas. So it's this um, equanimous relationship to ourselves, holding ourselves in equanimity. And I looked up humility because I'd like to see what the definitions are. And there are two types of definitions of, for humility. And one of them was um, lacking pretense and not feeling superior to anything. There's more of that sense of equality or equity. And the other one that's very common and is often thought of when people talk about humility is a lowly opinion of oneself, you know, poor, lowly. And I'd like to put that one aside and have it instead be this, this, this lacking of pretense. Um, but because of our conditioning, this humility, this, um, this equanimity can be really difficult, especially if we've been told all these things about how we're wrong or how we don't fit in or what we're doing is sinful or, you know, we have and we've internalized a lot of these stories. My mother told me for years that I was uncoordinated. And you, you hear it, you don't question it, you believe it. And then I remember one time I was in, not ballet, I never took ballet. I was in yoga and I was doing a balance pose. I had, you know, I was standing on one leg for quite a long time. And it all of a sudden, I mean, we're talking like 45 years later, I realized I'm not uncoordinated. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's like, but, but for years it's like, oh, I can't do that. I'm uncoordinated. I'm uncoordinated. You know, we just have those habitual patterns without stopping and pausing and bringing some light, some clarity. Is this true? This is what practice is so huge. It's the gift that it gives us. It's this gift to pause and really investigate. You know, a lot of that messaging that we've received can damage us, especially, you know, the societal messaging about who we are. And what we're not, we're who we are, and we're not supposed to be this way, and this is wrong, or that's wrong, or you're not the right this or the right that. It can be incredibly damaging, but we've internalized it, whether we're conscious or not. And and even if we're aware of it, the struggle to get free of it is is challenging. You know, and so another piece of this whole idea of developing this equanimity, and Rick Hansen talked about this, he's talked about the aspect of it, is to also, instead of just staying on that negativity channel, also recognizing our goodness and to become an ally of ourselves. I like that phrase. He says it's important and vital to be on our own side which for so many of us who have had those negative messages, it can be challenging. So how do we become, you know, how do we stay that? 
It's so how do we become that ally? How do we become an advocate for ourselves? It's really, really important. And and he said, Hansen said, and I kind of stopped the podcast and, and wrote this down. So these are this is kind of what he was saying. He says it doesn't having this this sense of um, that we're our own ally or we're we're our own advocate and, and recognizing the good in ourselves. It doesn't mean we're egotistical or nar- a narcissist, which a lot of times we do. It's like, oh, no, I, that, oh, no, you know, because we have, oh, not good enough. You know, I have to achieve some, some high, high, high bar in order to feel okay. I remember I used to watch athletes, um, really high-performing athletes who were really confident in their abilities and go, yeah, I can do this. And, and I used to think, such an ego instead of re- instead of realizing that they were confident and knew that they had this capacity to perform it wasn't egotistical so it doesn't mean we're egotistical or narcissist but we have dignity and self-respect enough to be on our own side and hansen says we stay out of stupid quarrels with other people because we don't need to prove anything to them when people say stuff to us, we're able to be less reactive. We may not like it from a justice standpoint or a justice perspective. It may be unjust, but we don't let it dig in. We don't let it gnaw at us. I've had um, a couple of conversations recently with friends who are authors or performers, and they talk about the reviews my one girlfriend, has a, she wrote a book, and it was an academic kind of book, and there were these reviewers, and of course the one person gave it one star. Oh, I know what it was. She, she recorded the audio book, and this person said, she just does not have the voice for audio books. And of course that's the one that like pierced her through the heart, whereas the other you know, 400 were, this is great. So, but then she was able to, you know, the reaction is like, ah, but then the resilience comes in and there's this, this ability, this being an advocate for yourself going, no, (laughs) that was fine. And she has a lovely British accent. So it was great. But anyway, um, but we can tend to go there. And so this, there needs to be this recognition. We don't have to prove things to people because we have this self-respect. We have this dignity. We get less reactive. And we are being our own advocate, we we are on we recognize we're on the side of something good. We recognize our own goodness. You know? And the again, practice is a huge part of this. This spending time greeting those painful places and being compassionate. When we sit for periods and those challenging emotions or those challenging thoughts come up really being compassionate or kind or soft to those feelings that may be so painful. My friend who I was talking to yesterday, she was talking about all these protection mechanisms, the running away or the anger or stuff. She says it was just covering all this grief, this grief she's had a lot of her life over some stuff that happened in her younger years. And so when we begin to recognize these reactivity may be covering up some stuff and are willing to get in touch with that and bring the appropriate response. The inappropriate response is to cover it up or run away or stuff it down or berate ourselves or whatever. 
And the appropriate response is to tend to it and recognize, is this something that needs to be changed? Is this something that's not well, you know, wise or skillful? And move in a direction that's more wise, that's more beneficial, that's more skillful. So that we know that we are moving from a place of goodness. You know? And we're willing to be open to the messiness. We recognize our issues. We recognize our emotions, but we don't let them take over. Um, the Buddha, Hansen pointed out a quote of the Buddha from his awakening, the night of his awakening, and he said, painful, racking feelings arose, but they did not invade my mind and remain. They were there. I felt them. Grief, loss. Right now, there is so much grief, so much loss, so much pain. And we can be open to that. We can be open to feeling things, but not allowing them to take over and run us. We learn how to be with them. We learn to have this resilience, this equanimity. Um, and being our own ally allows us to have this humility, recognize that we're just in the midst of this life. We don't have to prove anything because we know our own worth and we see ourselves with equanimity. We, are set, we see ourselves with kindness and compassion. And um, I, I also talked, I mentioned groundedness at the beginning of this talk and I think it's really, um, for me, what has been incredibly helpful in this capacity to see myself as a good person which then allows me to be less reactive because I have more groundedness I'm an ally and an advocate for myself is the teachings I and I've mentioned this before I've landed in the eightfold path I've landed in in wise action the Buddha said this is the path to liberation and the eightfold path is how we live in harmony with the rest of the world how we live in harmony with others, with, with seeing clearly, with greeting the world with goodwill and com, uh, compassion, with renunciation, letting go of those things that are not wise or skillful, and wise action, you know, not causing harm, and cultivating kindness and compassion, not taking and cultivating generosity, not, being, not lying, not being harsh with my speech, and saying what needs to be said in a kind way. And so with these underpinnings, we can look at that and say, am I walking in the direction of wisdom and wholesomeness and kindness? And say, you know what, I'm basically a good person. And sometimes I do stuff that hurts other people because we're, as I said, my friend and I were hiking this morning and, and I said, well, you know, there's human beings involved. So stuff's going to happen. People are going to get hurt. It's going to be messy. Because we're involved in it and we're messy, messy, we're not perfect. I'm not enlightened, so I'm still going to fall down. As Pema Chodron says, I'm going to have snot in my nose when I get a cold. So I have to accept that humanity, the humility of being a human being, and that I'm not perfect, but I'm also on this path to try and do well. And Hansen also talked about, you know, when we take it into the world, he pointed to, Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis and Thich Nhat Hanh, who were activists in the world 
and also flawed human beings. None of them were saints. None of them were perfect. But what kept them going was they had confidence in their path and that their cause was just. So there's that on the big stage, but then on our own stage that we have confidence in our path. I have confidence in the Eightfold Path. It hasn't led me wrong yet. When I get lost in my own thinking and I do stuff out of fear and reactivity, that's what gets me into um, unpleasant situations perhaps or uh, I get stuck in those painful emotions. I let them take over. But instead, we recognize. So that's the groundedness that this equanimity, this humility allows us. And... um, and recognize that we're interwoven in the fabric of life. And one other thing that Rick talked about, and, um, and he said, you know, we need some support in this, doing this. And he talked about this in his book, Buddha's Brain. And it's one of the reasons why I usually do a gratitude practice at the end of meditation. He says we have to take time to cultivate that good experience in our mind because it, that's what builds up that sense of well-being, that sense of, of being good, that sense of, of that beneficial sense, not the negativity. And um, he says there's three pieces to this. There's having the experience. So, you know, when we do the gratitude practice, it's having the experience of gratitude. Or if you're walking around... Or lately, I love this time of year because the sunsets and the sunrises are exquisite. They're just exquisite, and the clouds are beautiful, and it's just, a, I think, a lovely time of year. Or in the spring, I walk by night-blooming jasmine. There's a lot of it in my neighborhood, and I'll just stop and smell because I just really like that scent. And so when we're experiencing something, it can be anything that we find pleasant, like when my cat, even during meditation, I all of a sudden, the cat sleeping on me, all of a sudden there was this sense of joy that arose. And it's like, oh, what can, what's that feel like? And so he said, experience, stay with the experience for just a few breaths. It doesn't have to be a long time. It's maybe 10, 15 seconds. Don't just say, wow, what a pretty sunset. But actually be with the experience. And then feel it. Allow it to be embodied. What does it feel like in your body? Because we have to recognize what the good feelings feel like. I'm sure you all know what the crappy feelings feel like. You know, like when somebody says something and it's like you got kicked in the gut or your, your chest gets tight or your jaw. We all recognize that, but we have to take the time to recognize what that pleasant feeling is like. Be and be aware of what feels good. Be aware of it. So there's the sensation, there's the being with, the sensing it in the body, and the awareness of it. And that actually ha- it, it has a beneficial impact on the brain. It changes the brain. He said it, you get those neurons firing together. They, you know, the ones fire, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So you build up this, this experience of, of wholesomeness, of good feeling. And that makes it easier to um, be an advocate for yourself, to come to that place of compassion. And also all these, all these teachings work together to support this. 
And um, recognizing that's what stuff happens isn't personal. So we often take so many things personal when it's not. Like he pointed out, we can have this recognition that, you know, this stuff that's going on is the other person's conditioning, the other person's stuff. And I can, I can acknowledge that. I can maybe look and say, do I have a part in this? And if not, maybe I can let it go. Maybe I can let it go. So there's, a, there's this capacity to hold things without being knocked over by them. That's that equanimity. Allowing ourselves to make mistakes. That's the messiness. That's the humility. And not berating ourselves for it. And then um, at the end of the podcast, they asked him what keeps him going. And I think these are really lovely questions that we can ask ourselves as we're going through the world, especially if we're getting into a place of, of critical voice or harsh voice, that, that judging mind that can be so, um, so prominent at times. Ask ourselves these, these questions. Did I try? Did I try? Did I make an effort? Oftentimes we just say, yeah, I tried, but. No, allow that to be a thing. I did try. You know, did I bring my heart to it? Whatever it is we're doing. Did I try? Did I bring my heart to it? Was I really all in? And did I learn anything along the way? Maybe I, maybe I tried. Maybe I brought my heart to it. Maybe it was a horrible mess. And, but did I learn anything from that? Did I, was I able to grow? Humility is in that, growing. Equanimity is in that, clarity, wisdom, because there's wisdom in this. This clear seeing leads to wisdom. This equanimity is wisdom. It's seeing clearly, responding appropriately. So um, I think my, my friend was talking about it as spiritual resilience, you know, that this is what we're talking about here is spiritual resilience, this capacity to have this grounded, this spiritual practice that grounds us and holds us and allows us to experience the difficulties and allows us to experience joy as well. It's just as important to experience joy as it is to experience the difficult things that we may have been hiding from because many people also hide from joy and happiness. It's a it can be a scary thing. Brene Brown talks about foreboding joy, where we're afraid to experience joy because we know it's going to end, and we don't want to have to deal with the sadness of it ending. But instead, that's a denial of the present moment. That's aversion. That's pushing away what's right here. So if we're trying to get rid of greed, um, aversion, and, and delusion or ignorance, we have to be with what's here, even joy. So um, I think that's all I have, my friends, on this. And I invite you to um, try it on and see uh, how it works for you. Uh, I, I was just reminded lately, I've been forgetting to say it, of that one line of the Buddha that's so important. It's like, don't believe it just because I say it. You know, see for yourself if this takes you away from suffering or toward suffering, away from um, uh, discomfort or towards discomfort, and, and make your own decision around it. Ehipasiko. 
find your way with it. So thank you so much for your for your kind, kind, kind attention. <laughs>